Before we begin, we have a favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please help us spread the word about the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Another way is to tell a fellow art teacher. Either way, it helps others find the show. The Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast has a lot of information regarding teaching art, not just for tab teachers, but for anyone who is looking to further their understanding of children in a choice-based classroom. This show is about finding new ways to engage children and help them find their voice through visual arts. Welcome to episode 15 of the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. My name is Clark Freilich. And I'm Clyde Gaw. In today's episode, Clyde and I will be catching up on what's happened since August. And there's been a lot. Yeah. <sighs> what's going on? What have you been up to? Well, uh, let's see. Um, Should we start with uh, cardboard engineering? You know, I... I was just thinking of like school activities, but now that you mention it, we've got a pretty cool offer from the Indiana State Museum, and um, uh, that's that's going to be a year-long gig for us, and um, we will be at the Indiana State Museum from uh, the rest of the fall semester, 2018-2019 school year, until the and end of the winter and fall semester, 2018-2019 uh, school year. So from now, which is November, until uh, probably May, we will be in downtown Indianapolis on various weekends uh, working on uh, cardboard construction uh, projects. Uh, at the third floor in the uh, inside the Indiana State Museum, and um, yeah, we have to come up with some hard dates on those. <clears throat> yeah, so. yeah. We told uh, Bethany. We told Administrator uh, Bethany uh, that that we would give her some dates, and we haven't done that yet. But we we're pretty certain we're going to be there um, on the weekends for sure in April, May. Uh, perhaps March, yeah. Perhaps a, a couple weekends in February, in January. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll post. We'll post when we're going to be there. So then, uh, probably the next thing that we did was present at the Art Education Association of Indiana's conference. That was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time in Saint University of Saint Francis. Mm-hmm. Or at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne. Beautiful campus. Uh, congratulations to all of our AEAI colleagues uh, on their uh, successful implementation of that conference. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, I, I thought it was well attended. Pretty exciting conference. was glad to be a part of it. And I was really fascinated that there was other... Uh, presenters they're presenting on teaching for artistic behavior and having groups of teachers uh, uh, because that conference is you know gen for general art education mm -hmm. practice uh, 
I thought the uh, you know the tab presentations that we attended. Brett Bailey was there. Um, Ashley Toy. Ashley Toy did a presentation there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen O'Dell. Kristen O'Dell. Kristen yeah. O'Dell. Yeah. Was doing a presentation also. Mm-hmm. So we we were thrilled that to see our colleagues sharing their insight into tab and art education practice. Yeah, it was. I know our presentation was called uh, Creativity Unleashed, Setting the Conditions for Creativity. And it's something that you and I have kind of been working on back and forth. Yeah. We started it uh, at our technology conference here, and we've been doing some talking and, and thinking about creativity and what those conditions are for creativity. Uh, it was pretty well attended. We had a lot of higher ed people. I, I know we spoke to Dr. Michael Prater. From Ball State. From Ball State was there. Some other art teachers. And it had a, had a good room uh, of folks. So the conditions for creativity. And I know we, we have, we listed seven of them at the time, I believe. But I think there are more that you could probably drum up. Um, but but I think seven important conditions. Um, and they go back and forth. I mean, sometimes you'll think of one and it'll fold into another. Those that we listed were, I know one of them was autonomy. Yes. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't really uh, become an agent of your own ideas if you don't have autonomy. Uh, thinking about what it means to be an independent operator and um, and to be able to convey uh, your your own ideas, you have to have autonomy. And so, uh, providing a large space is important. Uh, providing space. Then again, knowing your kids, knowing their capabilities, because K twelve setting is kind of a, and I've said this and forgive my use of this term, but schools are kind of a strange place. Uh, and I say strange, uh, in that, um, uh, children, children outside of schools have all the rights as most other citizens in the United States. Uh, but once they go into a K-12 institution, their rights are diminished <laughs> And so well, it's uh, all about uh, conform- conforming to norms. Yeah. And the, the school regs, the code of conduct. Schools are not very democratic places. In fact, they're authoritarian from my perspective. So that's why conditions for creativity in, uh, in a classroom, and we're speaking about a tab classroom, you have to include autonomy because you never know what the, what the child's idea is, what kind of pathway or what kind of space or materials they might require. So they're going to go on a, on a learning pathway that, uh, in which you, you, have to, you, you have to allow that the unwinding irregular pathway to uh to present itself you have to allow that to happen in a a tab classroom you're you're 
providing that pathway for multiple multiple students. Right. You're empowering them in their own learning. And that empowerment is is paramount, I guess, to a child feeling as a part of his education as anything. And he's not just a passive receiver of knowledge, but he's an active participant. They're, they're actively, actively seeking knowledge, seeking out, uh, creating experience mm-hmm. uh, using the materials and the space inside the art room, the tab classroom. I, here's, here's an interesting uh, moment that took place uh, last week. You know, I watch my children's behaviors. Um, I watch their actions, and I know who needs interventions and who is self-directed. And, because, and we have, you know, different types of children come into the room, some who need uh, very little support and others who need all kinds of support to engage in art activity or to engage in creative activity. And we, we had talked about this earlier on the podcast uh, thinking about Ian Sands, uh, 30% rule. He was, he said there's, you know, 30% of kids are, are, uh, able to, uh, pursue their own ideas. Uh, another 30%, uh, need a little bit of direction, a little bit of assistance. And the other 30% need, uh, intensive, uh, interventions. Uh, and so I, I was, I was frustrated with one of my children in, in the in the last thirty percent group, um, and I said, you know, what does what does it take to get you to uh, participate in uh, in an art activity? Um, will you only do art? Because he didn't want to do art, he didn't want to make art. I said, do you only do activities for points? <laughs> And he said, yes, Mr. God, that's how we've been trained to learn. We've been trained to learn for points. I, I will th- give you 100 points if you start working. <laughs> and and what, was, what was fascinating and sad was that like a dozen of his classmates lifted their heads up while I'm having this conversation with them. And they all agreed, yes, this is the way it is in school. Yeah. This is the, we only we only work for points. That's not how we do things in life. <laughs> so well, unless I, you're a teacher, because then you just get points. You don't get money. You just get points. He's such a good teacher. Well, I'm very concerned that you know this this business of you know working for points or working for rewards. Um, you we know, all know that's not good, but that's what schools. You know, they, they are all about radical behaviorism, um, conditioning to do uh, tasks based on rewards, mm-hmm. which are grades and points. Right. You and I are aw- quite aware of these invisible structures in the school. These, these, these uh, uh, you know, they are management structures, uh, learning structures. That's a concern of mine is that we're raising multiple generations, multiple generations. of citizens who will only uh, will function for rewards or, or punishments. Um, uh, this business about creativity, where, which requires 
higher level thinking and and deep insight into um, into how the individual operates and uh, and and critical thinking with respect to formulating solutions to problems um, we're not doing enough of that in school and so and that's why autonomy is so important so kids can learn they they have to know what they don't know and they have to put themselves in that position of desiring to learn and not just being spoon-fed right all the time and in elementary usually with the younger kids, it's not a problem, but by the time they get to third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, you see that conditioning taking over. Yes. And, you know, in a tab classroom, we're trying to not do that, but they're still coming into our classroom and, and sometimes they will just freeze up because they are, it's confusing for them and it's hard for them to make that adjustment, especially if you are the only class that offers this opportunity for a student or for children to to be their own agent in learning. So trying to set that using autonomy and choice, I think, is very important. And I mean, it's one of the cornerstones or pillars of t- teaching for artistic behavior is the student is the artist. What do artists do? So they're making those critical decisions. And and you think about the formation of the mind and uh, the relationship of uh, uh, learning activities and the formation of mind. Um, Elliot Eisner had a great statement about curriculum. He said that curriculum is a mind-altering instrument. And he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, the curriculum, when I think about curriculum, the curriculum can be uh, democratic. It could be where the child and the teacher are sharing power in uh, and uh, negotiating how the learning activities and how the learning experience is going to go forward. And in so doing, the child's strengths can be tapped into. And, uh, and from a neurological standpoint, the child is gaining emotional say. When teachers think of curriculum, they're thinking, it's my understanding that they're wanting a step-by-step, this is what we teach. Yes. And a how-to. Tab isn't a how-to. You have to be immersed in the environment and be a participant in the environment where you're not just plugging in modules and the kids are going to learn in a tab classroom teachers are are led by the students and a very observant teacher would recognize when students are ready for this or when students are ready for that or maybe they need this you know i had a a student who he's a fourth grade student and he's kind of squirrely when you look at it from the outside and the other day i had kids draw on my whiteboard uh-huh. For some reason, it was just board. I have a big 24-foot whiteboard in my classroom, and and he's over there drawing on the board because he is not a drawer, but he was drawing some very interesting things, and I had to, you know, I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to walk up to him and say, what's going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because it, it was such a shock. He found something that he could 
pull himself into, whether it was the largeness. So maybe maybe it's something he likes to work very large. And so that's maybe something I have to explore with him. Perhaps he felt safe enough. And uh, from a developmental standpoint, he felt um, secure enough to, to join in with the others and draw on the whiteboard. And um, Well, it kind of brings in one of our other things um, with collaboration. It could have been, this is just something I'm thinking about, he was up there with a bunch of other children working on this giant piece of artwork. Maybe he was enjoying the collaborative part of it. Maybe it was the, the showy part of it, standing up in front of the classroom with a marker and, you know, everyone's looking at him. Uh-huh. But it, again, it's just one of those unique things that happen in a tab classroom that you normally wouldn't see in a regular classroom because kids don't have that opportunity to just walk up somewhere and start working when they find the opportunity. You know, students naturally want to work together. And social, I, social learning is powerful. Lev Vygotsky, the... Uh, the Russian uh, cognitive scientist did lots of research, and you know, Vygotsky's name is synonymous with social social learning activities and uh, emergent social activity. We see that in uh, the tap classroom all the time. Creativity, creative activity, um, swarm creativity uh, involving multiple uh, children, multiple artists uh, I've got some mural artists uh, working uh, in, in the art room right now and uh, very natural how it how you know this activity we have instead of a whiteboard like you have set up we have we've got uh, some big papers just taped and pinned to the wall and I have a sign that says mural mural center <laughs> and so I made a few marks I made some a uh, couple of stencil marks on it. Stenciling is uh, a print form of printmaking we do a lot of in the room. And I, I was over there uh, messing around, and I I showed one of the kids how to stencil on the mural, and pretty soon there were um, four kids working on the mural, and now uh, they've been devoting most of their class time the past. Six class times they've been working on it uh, all together. And the camaraderie, the, uh, the unity that they experience working together on this mural. And it's, it's, it's kind of like an abstract, uh, kind of like a map. Almost like your, your kid's battle map, only this one is like a, it's got like a Christmas theme to it. They also feel safe doing that when they're with somebody else. It kind of softens the expectations from them, maybe. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I know in elementary, when we talk about artwork and artwork for the art show, kids are always asking, can we do it with somebody else? Uh-huh. Maybe that's how they're, they're, that's their invitation to create. Uh-huh. And I know you and I have talked about some of the most creative times that people have is usually in like art school. Uh-huh. 
because you're surrounded by other creative people, very highly creative people in that in that environment. It's just a very creative environment and it pushes people into other areas, uh, enlightens them in other areas. It takes a lot of the pressure off. The TAP classroom does a lot to take pressure off of kids. I, I surveyed my kids uh, a couple months ago. I asked them, I said, you know, what changes would you like to see in the room? Do you want me to, do you want me to give you more demos uh, with longer instruction? No, Mr. Goss. No, no, they said. Just they shut said, up and leave us alone. That's exactly what they said. No, it's perfect. Uh, we we like the little five minute talks. We like the we like our time. This what was really remarkable was they were talking about stress. They're talking about stress that they um, experience from the regular school day, mm-hmm. and um, how important their art time was to them and the fact that um, I respected them if they chose not to work on art for that particular class time which I'm which everything in our room is very consensual in fact you know I, I have the room is geared up for art making but I make it clear to the kids that um, your, your only requirement in my room is to turn in your portfolio monthly and to show me your progress on whatever art projects you're working on. And, um, and, and I have found that that is the most satisfactory arrangement that I can come up with to meet the demands of the state and the needs of the children. And, uh, you know, schools will say, we, you know, we want our school to be relevant to the needs of children. Well, I mean, if you say you're going you're gonna to provide opportunity for relevance, then you have to give them autonomy so that the children are equal partners in the learning that goes down. Otherwise, children feel the beatdown. They feel the... Uh, the grind. The grind, it's, yes. It's just constant, almost harassment. Grades, assignments, got to turn it in on time. It's the most silly thing I ever heard of, getting grades for practice. But I digress. No, you don't digress. It's I mean those are the conditions we live in, and and we know where. I mean we could just, you know, the elephant in the room is of course the the fact that the school has to meet the the data requirements of the state. That's what powers curriculum. We're dealing with the whole child, right? Socially and emotionally. The mind is more than just the cognitive side of the mind. The mind, you have to include the emotional realm of the individual. They're interconnected. But schools don't do that. They're either running to you or running away from you. Yes. We try not to let that data piece get in the way. And so many teachers, art teachers, are hell-bent on getting a grade I honestly can't figure out how in the world are you going to grade a seven-year-old's artwork. <laughs> Johnny, you're going to – Johnny, your or drawing even, is worth a C. <laughs> I, I remember being in art class when I was in sixth grade and, and getting letter grades uh-huh. and thinking, 
why why is this one any better than the other one? Or when I was in ninth grade and my teacher didn't like my drawing because it was dark. So, so he thought I was on drugs. <laughs> was it what was was it a Halloween themed drawing? No, or? it was just kind of dark and it was I don't know. Maybe it was you were into dark atmospheres. Well, I think most high school kids are trying to find themselves and experimenting with a lot of different ideas. And I was just thinking of something that was on the darker side and he didn't appreciate it. He actually confronted me, he looked at me and said, I know you're on drugs. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was a swimmer and my eyes were always red from the chlorine. <laughs> and because of your drawing, you thought that you were on drugs. Oh, yeah. So based on that drawing, I thought it was a good drawing. I think I still have it somewhere. I got a C on it, which is a totally random grade. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty picture, but I didn't let it bother me. But maybe I should go see a shriek. <laughs> no. No, but you remember you remember the incident because well, I remember because, the emotional impact because, of being told I was on drugs when an authoritarian figure looks at you and tells you you're on drugs. You were an athlete who was in at swimming practice. So, anyways, that was my experience, and I don't know if that had anything to do with my later experience of trying to figure everything out art-wise and letting people explore where they want to explore. Teaching art is not a step-by-step process. Just like you and I were talking about uh, the creative process. You start one place and you end up another place, but you can go many different directions in between those two points. Thinking about different art techniques uh, with materials. I mean, you mentioned step-by-step process. Like, you know, what's the step-by-step process to making a clay vessel? Um, you know, there's a step-by-step process for that. But, but what is what is the process to get a child to fall in love with art for the rest of their life? Uh, is it to embed them in the step-by-step process of making clay vessels, and in, in, in which you uh, you tell them that their other art ideas in real time don't matter. Um, if you don't honor the, the, the child's ideas uh, in, you know, in, in a time-sensitive manner, you lose the opportunity to get the child to fall in love with art. And that has been my, my main teaching goal throughout my, most of my career, especially since I've been working with TAB curriculum practice, is to get children to fall in love with, with art and art making. In order to do that, we have to respect their capacity for generating ideas, recognizing that ideas are time sensitive, uh, and providing them with autonomy to explore and uh, experiment with the with the realization of those ideas. So, thinking about Kathy Douglas's learning goals for her students, I think I've memorized them, but um, let me see. Uh, the children can have an idea. They can come to class with an idea. Children can gather up the materials to begin to realize the idea. That's the second part, gathering up the materials. The third step is exploring and 
expressing the ideas with the art materials. Including mistakes. Including mistakes. The child can then determine when they are done. That part of the, uh, the process of Kathy's process, the child can determine when they're done. And the teacher can also have a little bit of input too and may make suggestions. You know, well, you know, you, and that's what I do. You might f- feel like you're done, but what if you did this or that to your work? You think maybe that might enhance the work? As long as kids have a choice in making that decision, because I do the same thing. Yeah. I'll say, well, what would happen if you did, what do you think might happen if you tried this or if you did this? Yeah. And and they're even, they'll either be open to it or they're done with it. Yes. And then sometimes I'll even say, why don't you just put it away for a day or two? Yeah. And then come back. Because a lot of times they'll come up and they're asked, is this done? And they haven't learned how to know when something is done. So yes. they're always looking to the teacher to see, is this done? And then the teacher makes a judgment based on For neatness usually or yeah, something or like that. Adult ideas related to right. art, which which you have to, we have to avoid. You have to learn to avoid as a teacher to let go of your adult uh values, adult judgments on children's art. Um, the other um, learning goals stated by Kathy are, you know, the, the child, after they determine when their art is finished, including the, the negotiations with the teacher, then the child can put their materials away. They can learn to put, you know, take care of their, their workspace. And uh, the, the child can reflect on on what just happened and what's next what's next so i look at that i look at kathy's learning goals and i think they're just brilliant uh it's 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 a it's a it's like a feedback loop and if you get children to love that process it continues it's it's a it's a process that they will they will remember because it's emotionally connected. And, and, and we know that anytime learning is connected to emotions, uh, it will stay with you for a long time. Yeah, if you're interested in, in those, there's a file on the tab educators file section. I like to steal from, from you and steal from other people. Like, you know, like I steal from Kathy and Diane and, I think that's one nice thing about tab teachers is they're very open to sharing what works in their classroom. And it's always open to modification as long as we're properly noting where the original idea came from. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very, tab teachers are very generous. Just like any teacher, we get stuck. We have our own blind spots and sometimes someone will do something that we might not even thought about. So thinking about you know, the topic of creativity is a very uh, complex topic, and, you know, we set some conditions for it. Um, we're just getting into it. Yeah, so we talked about autonomy and collaboration Yes. today, and I think we next just, time— We just touched on collaboration. Yeah. We, did, we mentioned Lev Vygotsky. I think we need to get deeper yeah, into Check out his Facebook page. <laughs> So we have, we have a lot to talk about and continue to talk about. We're going to talk about playfulness. We'll talk about the environment. We'll talk about 
Did I tell you about the Chinese scholars who came to visit me? No. Talk about time. I had three Chinese scholars stay at my house. Risk taking? Last, <laughs> yeah. last year. And I asked them, I said, here in the United States, teachers get a lot of negative feedback about their schools. We don't think schools are very good in, in, in America. But here you, you gentlemen have traveled thousands of miles to come visit American schools. Why are you interested in visiting American schools? And the answer by the three gentlemen, uh, and two of them were, two of them were members of the Chinese Communist Party, and they were uh, they were principals in uh, in like high schools. Uh, the other teacher was a physics teacher, and so um, I asked them, you know, why do you want to come look at American schools? And their answer was creativity. We want to see how Americans do creativity in schools. So my, my concern is that American schools are getting less creative. There's a, there's we're, a trade-off there. We're more backwards. You know, we, instead of recognizing what we do really, really well, we're looking elsewhere, thinking that we can find the answer in a test score. Just look at, look at what they do in Finland. Uh, if you ask the Finnish where they uh, where their ideas for education came from, you know what they'll tell you. They got them from the United States in the seventies. In the seventies, yep. and from the progressive uh, education movement. Mm-hmm. And um, so, how do you like them apples? Makes me want to live in Finland. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna end this episode right here. Uh, we will be back very soon and continue this conversation we just have an arch couple art shows to do and uh and finals coming up semester finals you do i don't <laughs> grades <laughs> and then christmas yeah. so i think we'll probably have at least one more episode between now and christmas i think we'll squeeze one or two in there yeah we should try we should. not to talk too long we need to work on getting some some new guests, perhaps. So, All right. Clyde's good talking to you. You bet, Clark. Always yeah. a good time. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode of Blocks, Paper, Scissors. We'll see you next time. See ya. <laughs>